personal and talk about the day-to-day real challenges and joys of this crazy life God has called us into. I'm your host, fellow missionary, Stephanie Gutierrez. Ever felt God calling you to do something that doesn't make sense? Pastor Randy Bolander joins us to talk about the difference between just crazy and crazy faith. Well, welcome to this week's episode of the Modern Day Missionaries podcast. Today, we are welcoming Randy Bolander to the podcast. Randy, I'm so glad you're here with us today. It is great to be with you, Stephanie. Randy, you and I met for the first time, I think a couple of years back. It was We were on opposite sides. Of we this, were. We? I was interviewing. I was asking the pointed questions. And uh, you and Danny were on the other end. It is the truth. And you did the modern day podcast before this one, the original iteration of it. And so it is fun to get to ask you the questions today and to dig a little bit into your story. And before we do, I just want to tell everybody who you are. You and Kelsey have lived in the Kansas City area for 33 years. And Randy and Kelsey, in addition to planting a church, The Bridge, they're founders and leaders of Zoe's House Adoption Agency. So you guys work in domestic private adoption. I know you've let me know, placing Kansas and Missouri-born children in families nationwide, which is pretty incredible, and have 10 children of your own. 10 of our own. True. 29 to 7. And how many have you adopted? Uh, six of those. So six? four. Yeah, the first three are bio. The, uh, we have boys that are 29, 25, and 21. Uh, we have a 16-year-old girl that we adopted at birth. Uh, we have twins that are 14 that we adopted at birth. Uh, got home with the twins, found out we were pregnant. So we have, uh, I have three eighth grade girls. Uh, then another set of twins that are 10 that we adopted and a little guy who's seven. Oh, that is amazing. I love the passion that you guys have for that, for adoption and for helping really kids be placed in great families. And then beyond that, you also have a passion for missions. I know you, in addition to you to hosting the podcast before this, tell, tell us a little bit about your yeah. connection to missions. Yeah, we connected uh, with modern day uh, many years ago, um, we had been on staff at a, a mega church in Ohio and, uh, felt led by the Lord to move to Kansas city, been married 33 years. We've only been in Kansas city go. about 20, uh, 19, I guess we were invited to come and join the staff of international house of prayer, join the leadership team here. And, uh, that all sounds very grand- grandiose, but what that really means is we'll come be a missionary, come raise your support to, to lead this prayer movement. And so we stepped off of a staff of, um, of a large church, about 120 on staff, uh, secure key role there, loved doing what we were doing and came here. And, um, you know, there, there's a couple of, of key things that stick out in my mind. One is a line from, uh, the field of dreams where he says, I never did a crazy thing in my life till I heard the voices. And, uh, that was kind of our, our hearing the voice, uh, you know, up until then we had youth pastored. And we had planted a church. We hadn't done anything really super out of the ordinary. And leaving that mega church to step into a fundraising for ourselves missions role was was kind of that first thing, you know. And I love that you brought that up uh, because that's really what we're going to be talking about today is just crazy faith. When you do things that don't make sense on paper, but mm-hmm. you know in your heart God's calling you to do it. Yeah. And I mean, so Randy... How do you tell the difference between crazy faith and just flat out crazy in circumstances like that? You know, I, I mean, I've said it before that when it feels like faith to you and it looks like crazy to everybody else, then you're probably on the right path. And the Lord will call you to things that specifically only make sense to you or there's only a draw to you. 
I think every step we've made along the way, there have been concerned individuals who've come alongside us and gone, are you, are you sure? Uh, not deeply trusted friends. I'm not talking about the yeah. people you would take input from, but I remember when we left the mega church, uh, there was a staff member who I wasn't particularly close with. I, I, we served together, but we weren't close friends, but he took me out to lunch and, and sat me down and said, I'm afraid for your family. And, um, it, it was honoring in a way. I mean, I appreciated that, but I told him I'm kind of afraid for my family if, if we're not obedient. And yeah. so there are the idea that everybody is comfortable with the level of risk that you're being asked to take is a pipe dream. Uh, everybody is called to do things at different levels and it always seems crazy to somebody else. Well, and this is, this is the crowd who gets risk. I mean, missionaries yeah. take big risks. Like you mentioned, you guys leaving the security of full-time jobs and, oh, and yeah. a big staff to jump into something where you're having to fundraise and do everything. And do everything. I remember leaving the staff and going, what happens when my computer breaks? Like, you know, like I am now the tech department. I'm the fundraising department. I'm all of these departments, things that I had never really done before, um, in, including just fundraising. But, uh, you know, I, I said early on that the two things that stick in my mind is that Field of Dreams quote. The other one is uh, when we were first youth pastoring, I was just green as a gourd. You know, this is like 33 years ago and our car broke down. And so a local pastor was named Jewel Morris. I, I don't know if he's still alive in East Tennessee. He said, let me help you. We, we can fix your car. So I take it over. He's got a really nice shop and uh, we start tearing things out. And th the problem is inside the car at the very front underneath the dash. And inside of about an hour, uh, Pastor Morris has taken everything out of the front of my car. Like there's, there's seats and a steering wheel. Everything else is bare metal. And I'm just looking. There's hundreds of pieces laying all over his. his scary. Um, yeah, scary. And I, I remember saying, Brother Morris, where'd you learn how to do this? And he said, oh, I'm learning right now. And I, I said, what? You've never done this before? And I'll never forget. He stopped and he goes, Randy, dumber people than us have done this. We can figure it out. And sure enough, he did. And he fixed it. And so Kelsey and I have jokingly over the years, when we come up against something we've never done before, we thought, have dumber people than us done this? Probably. And then we'll just kind of blindly go on forward. Oh, my gosh. That's my favorite quote of the day right now. It's great. Dumber people than us have done this. Little, Anytime you need a little encouragement, just know the number people Great edifying you. words i'll be using <laughs> it is it is golly okay and i love what you were saying there too as you were talking about all of a sudden i need to fix my own computer and do all these things i remember when we went to go plant a church and we had been a part of a, a mega church staff beforehand and that was one of our first thoughts we need to get computers that won't break for a long time yes. and you do you take for granted when you've been in a secure position all the things that are done for you and yet that's when I think you just know you're called to do something because you're willing to throw all that security to the wind yeah. to follow God, even though it's hard and it's crazy. You're like, I, I have to do this. The comfort and security that I have here is not worth it anymore. Right. And it's actually not even all that real. That's very true. You know, how many people that you know in secure jobs who had a job one week and didn't have it the next. And so the fact that you know, you think that's eternal. It's just not maybe, you know, my parents generation in a, in a certain situation, they might've had a lifetime job or, or some kind of security, but you know, that ship done sailed. Mm. Nobody lives with that. That's so accurate. I love what you're saying too about risk. 
because okay you're always risking something whether you're risking your, your you know financial future by stepping into something like what you guys did but what what are you risking by staying you're always risking something and you're always trusting something and so what are you trusting i remember that that lunch i had with that guy on staff and he said you know you're leaving security right here and i said security we had you know last winter we had 6 weeks of bad weather and and giving was down we laid off a handful of people you know i mean in the church world you know we all joke about it a pastor's only about three bad sermons away from you know encountering real difficulty that's the overstatement but not always i mean that's actually reality for a lot of people so what we think of as security is often false anyway the level of risk isn't as high as we think it is that's so good you're always risking something and you're always trusting something. So what are always. you willing to risk and where are you placing your trust? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We could just stop right now. I mean, that was, that was worth. Good night, everybody. <laughs> okay. What would be another example of a time that you guys stepped out into risk? Oh, this is the one that like freaks everybody out. Um, which is funny. Cause I was more freaked out about other ones, but we came to, to IHOP, joined the staff at IHOP. Uh, our, I started running the marketing department because I had cool glasses. That's my only qualification. I didn't really know anything about marketing. But um, that was, I think, how I got the job. And uh, we um, connected with Lou Engel, who had had a real impact on our lives. We had never met before. So we, we were here about a year and a half. We have a real connection with Lou Engel. Real, really very fast, but very fast and intense connection. And um, I think we meet in November. Uh, and he invites us to move to Washington, D.C. and help launch the Justice House of Prayer and um, this ministry called Bound for Life, which is praying for the ending of abortion. And so we said, oh, when are you thinking? He's like, oh, January 1st. So we make the decision on December 10th. What? And on the 1st, we move with three boys. And he had a kind of a ministry director then who had arranged, okay, they had rented a big house. We were going to move there. And uh, there were some other pro other houses connected. All the interns were going to live there. They had about 70 inter interns coming from across the United States. Um, he said, don't bring a lot of stuff. We don't have a lot of room. So another family who were friends of ours, we said, hey, do you want to come join us in this? They were crazy enough to jump in with us. We split a small U-Haul, put a few things in the U-Haul. We head to Washington, D.C. On the way, we discover that the property that they were going to rent for all of us to live has fallen through. So we have no place to live when we get there. And we've got three kids. They've got six. Oh, my word. Um, and so I'm driving the U-Haul and my friend Paul is working the phones trying to rent a place where, you know, two families and 70 interns can live. That should take months. Wait, 70 we've interns? Got 70 <laughs> interns and, and, and two families. So uh, Paul, who's just a wheeler dealer, lands a summer camp in only Maryland, which was north of the city about an hour we rent it sight unseen and they tell us there are dorms and a chalet where the families can live. So we're very excited about the chalet. We're thinking, what is this going to be like? Uh, we get there and as we pull in it, we can tell this is not what we were sold. I mean, it's a summer camp and so nothing has insulation. We're in Maryland in the winter. It's cold, it's wet. And uh, so we start doing a walkthrough. It's got a very nice gymnasium, big foyer in the gymnasium. It's got a ratty cafeteria uh, that it looks like the kitchen's never been cleaned. Um, and then we get to the chalet. We walk into the chalet, which is, by the way, not a word I would have ever used to describe it from the exterior. We get in it. I don't know when it was last inhabited, but from standing in the front door, I can look out 
outside four or five places where there's not a window. It's just, there's a hole like this place. It, it's one of those things you look, is this a fixer upper or a terror downer? This is probably a terror downer. It's terrible. And it smells like mold. We can't possibly live oh here. My gosh. So while Paul and I are standing there trying to figure out what to do, our wives are walking around the camp looking for a place where we can live. And before we tell them, no, we're not moving in here, our wives walk in behind us and said, we're moving into the foyer of the gym. It's the only place inhabitable. And so we did. We moved into, uh, we called it the fishbowl. It was glass on three sides. It was about 20 by 40 feet. And we put a bunch of beds up and our families lived there in this one big room for, let's see, from January until maybe April. Wow. When, when we found the, the other property was finally arranged and we moved into the other property, which was still squirrely, but was nothing, nothing like that. And so we're into this and, and the heat didn't work. The, the, it's snowing. He doesn't work. I remember one morning, Paul and I had found one of these propane heaters, these shop yeah. heaters, you know, that looks, looks like a missile on wheels. And so we're so excited because we're going to light this thing and warm it up. So when our kids wake up, they're not, you know, it's not frost on the inside of the windows, which had been happening the last couple of nights. So we wheel this thing into the big room. We hook up the propane bottle and we hit the igniter. What we weren't ready for was the fact that this thing sounds like a helicopter. So it's just, <laughs> it's insanely loud. It wakes everybody up. And we also weren't aware that the propane tank was basically empty. So it bursts to life and then just quits and it's silent. And all our kids are now awake at 5 a.m. And it's oh, no. freezing. It was just, it was a debacle. But yet that year that we spent in D.C. with Lou was life-changing. So much fun. Charted the course for the next you know, 20 years of our life. That's where we were standing on the steps of the Supreme Court, praying for the ending of abortion, which we've just mm -hmm. seen. Like, how many of those do you get to hang your hat on and say, we prayed for that back in the day when everybody thought we were crazy. That's where we were standing when somebody yelled at us and said, what are you going to do if you win? What are you going to do with the babies? Because you don't want them any more than these women do. And we came home and started to adopt because we wanted to say yes with the fullness of our conviction. I never wanted anybody to say that to me again and not me not have an answer. That's why we started Zoe's house was for the ending of abortion. So this last year for us has been uh, like a prophetic fulfillment. Now it's not done. Kansas is a absolute cesspool regarding a, a abortion and abortion law. But on a national level, what we set out to pray for and to stand against, we have seen. And um, it's made a lot of risk worth it. That is so powerful. And I just love even your response to that, that you were praying for the end of abortion, but you were, you were planning and thinking for when it ended and having a Christian response, not just to the front end, but also to the back end. We don't think much about winning as a church. We mm. think about protesting. We think about being persecuted. We think of um, all the things being done against us. We don't think very much about what to do when we gain some sort of advantage. And we knew that if abortion were to end, it would be because there were options. And that option has to be either support moms who choose to parent or find Christian families who will now embrace this wave of children that will come because somebody will want those children. And we're not just, you know, patting them on the head and giving them uh, 70 years in a good home and a, and a new bike. It's like, no, we're charting the course for eternity for these kids. And there are other people that are yearning to have that influence over them. So who's going to have it? 
And that was very much part of our consciousness back in, in 05 and in 06 when we started adopting. And then seven years ago when we launched Zoe's house, it was when we heard Roe v. Wade ended, I sat out, oh gosh, I sat out on my deck and I just wept because I thought this is what life has been about for us. Hmm. Even though it's not over, it's not over, you know, battle's never over. But uh, it was a key thing that we put a lot of a lot of hours and a lot of years into. That is huge. And that mentality of living like you're going to win, planning to win, how does that change the way that you engage risk? Uh, well, it gives you that faith to do things that maybe people other, other people don't have faith for. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we were very fortunate. You know, we were in... Um, a community of young people who cheered us on and who believed with us. Uh, I mean, back in Washington, we said, we feel like the Lord is calling us to adopt. This is something. And of our interns, one of our interns then, his name was Brian Kim. He now pastors uh, the upper room in Denver. He's now, he's got to be knocking on 40. Sorry, Brian, I don't remember. But uh, back then he was just a shaggy headed kid who just graduated from college. And he came and gave us 500 bucks and said, you're going to need a big vehicle one day. And so to be surrounded by people who would cheer you on, even if it was in their naivety and their youth, that was so much help to think about winning. Because by the time people get to be about 40, uh, they don't think much about winning very often. So you kind of have to surround yourself with people that aren't quite as jaded. Yeah. Okay. And so you talked about two different kinds of people when you're taking these big risks, the people who just tell you you're flat out crazy, which we're always going to have some of those. But then you mentioned the need for some key people who do believe in what God's called you to do. Yeah. Who have been some of those people for you guys in your life? Um, there is a couple who for the past 16 years, maybe 15 years, maybe right after we got Zoe, has stood with us through every crazy yes. Um, and I adore these folks. In fact, uh, uh, Becky and Bruce Jackman prayed with Bruce this morning at 6 a.m. They're, um, they're, they're peers. They're, you know, a couple of years older than us, but not, not much. Our, we have some kids the same age. They're, their kids and our older kids are close to the same age. And uh, they have permission in my life. If we're going off a, an odd direction and we go to Bruce and Becky, if they say, I don't know, guys, I would have to weigh that heavily. Because I've seen them take risks. I've seen them do the same things, you know, and I've seen them yeah. uh, uh, with grown children go do a YWAM DTS when everybody else was 20 years younger. And so they, to me, they've got equity. The guy who has never taken a risk and has played it as safe as can be, the fact that I make him nervous, that's kind of where I want to live. I don't feel too bad about him. But it's those that have, have walked with us and have seen the risk. Um, that have said yes with us over and over again. If, if they say no, then I have to, they're in my life for a reason. So you make such a point, an important point there. I think sometimes when people are looking for those cheerleaders in their life, really deep down what they're looking for is yes men and yes women who will just give thumbs up and say great job to everything that we're doing. But even if we are awesome risk takers and we are great at following God in big faith, even we make mistakes because we're human and you've got to have people who believe in you with everything in them, but who will also say, I don't know about this one. Yeah. But it's better when you're taking the risk, take that input from somebody who's done it. Yeah. Don't, don't take exactly. it from somebody who's never done it. You know, if you want to plant a church, talk to somebody who's planted a church mm-hmm. and say, 
do you think I have this in me? Because they know, they know what it costs. Yeah. And, um, and so that's, you know, they, they have walked with us, their family and our family, and probably more than anybody in our history would have more of that input. There's, you know, there's a handful of others, certainly that were in that circle as well, but, uh, you got to have them, but they've got to be people who are also risk takers because they're generally, when you put things up to a consensus or, you know, should I do this? And it's a group discussion. You end up at the level of the most fearful person in the room. You know, the most, it's, it's just like a group project in school. The end product of a group project is generally the result of the least academic person in the group because (laughs) everything just dumbs down to that level. And so, it's just, they got to be somebody you've taken a risk with you. Yeah. Well, and okay. And speaking of taking risks, we're all smart enough to know that sometimes I think, tell me if you think of any other categories, but I'm thinking there's the risks that turn out and they look great and you can see God's hand in them. And you're just like, that was it. And then there's the risks that don't work out and sometimes well, or look like they don't work out. So there was ones that don't work out because we've like just screwed up and we heard God wrong or we made a mistake or something didn't work out. And then there's the ones where they seem like they didn't work out, but really God was bringing you into this direction that outwardly didn't look right, but inwardly and long-term, he was doing something totally different. What do you think about that? And there's probably some fuzzy in there where, okay, this isn't really what was supposed to happen. And doggone it, if the Lord doesn't redeem it anyway, you know, that's grace. It's like, how did you win that hand of cards when I saw the cards you had and they were terrible? You know, the Lord has a way. And, and so there are some of those and, you know, it's fun to talk about all, we thought about going to DC and this happened and this happened. We had a ton of those, but there are the times we've stepped out and got our foot stepped on. And, uh, you know, if you're, uh, if you're blessed, that happens really early on in the process. And so it's not too far back to the ledge. Sometimes you're out there over, you know, a couple examples at one point, um, Lou was living in, in Pasadena and we really felt like we heard from the Lord. We're going to, we're going to move to Pasadena. We're going to be there with him. And even to the point where we announced it to supporters. And, um, after a couple of more exploratory visits and we'd been out there a number of times and it just didn't feel like it was the right thing. And, and even Lou came to us and goes, man, I would love to have you right next to me. I just, something is not, it doesn't feel right now. And we had to backpedal and nobody likes to do that. You know, right. it's the email you don't want to send to supporters. Never mind. You know, it's like, <laughs> you just, it's bad, but it was better than to move forward. Uh, not all of them have been that gracious. You know, we've taken other risks. Um, I, some, some time back, uh, was invited to pastor a church for which I was a very unlikely choice. And um, we felt it was the Lord. And I think it was like, I look back on it. I think it was, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it ended very hard for us. Um, Very painful. And I don't want to paint that as entirely, you know, nothing is one-sided. I look back, I would go, yeah, I'd have done some things differently as well. Um, but it was risky and people wondered why, why are you making this move? You can look back and go, Oh, maybe you were right, but it doesn't help things. Mm-mm. Second guessing doesn't help things. All you can do is, all right, Lords, here are the cards we have now. Can you make something out of what we have? He always can. Even when you miss it, he always can. That's what I'm saying. The level of risk 
isn't as high as we think it is. It's true because we have a God who redeems things. We have a God who gives us fresh starts, who extends mercy. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't bring much to the table to start with. And so he's not that concerned if we, you know, get a play wrong. Yeah. I think he just likes that we're moving and that we're not holding still. There's this, there's this tension between waiting on the Lord and not just jumping into stuff. And then there is this waiting and waiting and waiting and never jumping into stuff. And I think personality wise, usually we default more towards one versus the other. So it's yeah. recognizing what is my personality default and how, you know, do I need to slow down? Do I need to speed up? Yeah. And asking the Lord to pull you into whichever one is most needed. And if you are really blessed, the Lord will give you a spouse, which is the opposite of how you are wired. Not the truth. <laughs> because that tension really helps. I know. Okay. You and Kelsey, which one of you yeah. is the jump into action? Which one is the way oh, to pray? Kelsey's action. Kelsey is, uh, you know, she has a large prophetic sale. She just senses what the Lord is saying and often way earlier than I do. Uh, we have a joke. Um, I am the last one on the bus. But when, when I get on the bus, we're going to go. And so uh, that has been, you know, for years of marriage has been how it worked. And, and you work it out. There are times one of you thinks we should, the other one thinks we shouldn't. And you got to, at the end of the day, we're still married. We got to work this out um, and have grace for one another. But that balance has served mm -hmm. us very well. And I have, uh, we have dove into things and done things we would never have done had I been the sole decision maker, which just would have never happened. And we've probably dodged a few bullets because I am, you know, that I, and so it's, it's worked together. If, if you're fortunate, uh, you have both. Okay. And I get that. So we're similar in that I'm similar to you and Danny's more similar to Kelsey. He's really? the one who's like, let's do it. And I'm like, can we just seek the Lord a little longer? Those two must <laughs> never meet. If those two meet, it's like, that's, that's danger, danger. And, and like you said, there have been times that we, so in terms of us both hearing from the Lord, we kind of always ask each other who feels it the strongest, because there are times where I'm like, no, 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 no. We are not supposed to move. We are not supposed to go. And if he senses that really deep passion in me, he's he hears it. And on the on the reverse, if he's like, no, we're supposed to do this. Come on, Steph, let's go. I'm like, all right, you're feeling it stronger than me. Yeah. So is this, this yeah. mutual sensitivity to the Holy Spirit um, in each one of us, recognizing that he brought us together for a reason. We have different personalities, but we both have the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. And for people, I'm thinking of people who are listening who are single, I think for them, it's aligning yourself with really great mentors and friends who are right. able to bring that into your life. Right. If I could give any advice to young people starting out, it would be to cultivate those friendship and those peer relationships with people who uh, either have done it a little bit ahead of you mm -hmm. or are doing it right now. Yeah. The guy who did it 25 years ago also helpful, but in a different way. He's helpful on the meta level, you know, human nature, da 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 da. But when something blows up online, he's not helpful. Uh, you so you've got to have. Just in the last year, I have stumbled into this friend group of three other pastors, and we have a text thread that keeps our phone blowing up constantly, and we're all within uh, a couple of years of age. Hmm. Um. And we're all in different parts of the country. And it has been the most help for me to, you know, bounce ideas off of, and it was just independent of, of having a spouse or not having a spouse. I would cultivate those like crazy. Don't burn bridges, build them and 
keep in contact with people as much as you can. In one of these cases, I went to college with this guy and there's a 20 year gap in us not being connected. And we look back going, man, I wish we'd have been talking for the last 20 years. It would have been a little helpful. But you got them now. And you're bringing up, I love the theme that's coming out of this right now. So I'm hearing right now, risk requires relationship. Yeah. And you're bringing up, it requires, I think, multiple kinds of relationships. Mm -hmm. People who have done it before, who've got the experience, who know what it feels like, people who are doing it with you. Any other yeah. relationships that you would add to that? You know, just fresh perspectives. I think, you know, like I said, those young people in BC, um, they were all, you know, 17, 18, 19, and all they had was zeal. But I've been around a lot of people who had none of that. And I will mm -hmm. actually take some of that and, and try and channel it. And they have spurred us on over the years and now are, you know, like I said, late thirties and I would draw on them from their experience. Now, uh, back then I just needed the encouragement. I need, needed somebody that would go, yeah, we'll help you. I, you know, I needed the shaggy headed college kid to go, here's 500 bucks. And I knew yeah. what that cost him. And I thought, man, if it means that much to Brian, maybe there's something here. Um, so you kind of, you can draw on all kinds of people, but you have to draw different things on them. You know, absolutely. When you brought up a different kind really right now too, the kind that we're pouring into, so we've got the people older than us or more experienced than us, the people um, who are doing it with us, but then younger people that we can pour into who they're watching us and it's mm -hmm. good to be watched. It keeps you accountable. It keeps you tight with the Lord and it gives you someone to sew into with your story and with your testimony and how cool that he's gotten to watch you guys all these years. Yeah. One, one of the things that we're really passionate about at our church is the idea of being multi-generational, um, mm -hmm. which is hard because everything is marketed to niche ages. And so, well, what, what flavor are you? What style are you? And what that means is what age group are you trying to reach? So when yeah. you say we're trying to reach them all, people look at you like you're a little bit of a nut because it's hard, but it is so valuable. And so yeah. we've got the 20-somethings going, no, I'm glad I'm sitting here with somebody in their 60s who knows something. We've got people in their 60s going, I love that, you know, we've got a 20-something on the keyboards that's leading worship. And um, there's a richness there in life, not just in church life or in service, but in life as a whole of drawing from people of different ages that um, our own culture fights against as it tries to. And it starts, it starts in school. You're suddenly, you know, in a room of people and everyone is your age. When does that ever happen again in life that you're... Mm -hmm contained to a group of people of your own age. Uh, but that's who we learn to relate to. And that's what we think the world is all about. And so anyway, that I've never thought about it in terms of influence. I've thought about in terms of um, just the benefit of having a body of people like that, but also an influence. It's true. It's real. Absolutely. We want the next generation to be taking risks as well. And speaking of next generation, that's, that's the last thing I want to make sure to ask you about today. Mm -hmm. Kids, what mm -hmm. is the impact of, or, or the way that you take risks as a family, because ultimately when you've got kids, they kind of just get to take the risk with you. Lucky for them. Get to or have to. Yeah. Um, boy, maybe we should have my kids on and have this discussion. Although that sounds <laughs> horrifying. Um, you know, they have watched us do this, particularly the older ones. Um, and I don't think they would trade it for anything. Although there are certainly times in it that were painful for them mm -hmm. and hard. Um, not always the times that were hard for us were hard for them. Um, Great point. When, when, we, when I tell you about living in this camp and only Maryland in the winter, my older boys look at that as the glory years. That was the most fun 
because they roamed this campground. They had 70, you know, 19 and 20 year olds who just thought they were the coolest and would, would play with them and chase them all over the place. And, um, they look back at that and that was, that was awesome. Like, do you remember it being freezing cold or being exhausted? They're like, yeah, we don't remember that at all. And so that was not that hard for them. Um, the, the difficulty in leaving the church when, when that risk did not pan out the way that I hoped, the way that anybody hoped, uh, that was hard for my younger ones because, uh, dad lost a job, dad lost identity. They lost a community and it all hit the fan two weeks before Christmas. And Gosh. my seven-year-old boy is got tears in his eyes saying, why can't we go back to children's church? We were playing a game and we were winning and, and now I can't go back. And wow. I have no answer for him. Like there's nothing I can tell him that doesn't uncover people or uncover myself in my own, you know, brokenness. And so, um, it's hard, you know, and, and hopefully through life, you show them enough of the positive, enough of the payoff mm -hmm. that they realize risk is what it is. It's worth it. And sometimes, you know, you pull back a bloody nub and go, oh, mm -hmm. I got to get a prosthetic and try again. Um, hopefully they see both sides of it. And that, well, that, and that I think the health of that lies on, on mom and dad to show them yeah. both sides of it, but emphasize that look at the goodness of God in this. Yeah. And as you said, they experience that risk differently than we do. And that's so powerful to keep that in mind because sure, leaving a church is extremely traumatic, but like sometimes we think about the physical risks mm -hmm. or the, the things that will affect their bodies. Like you mentioned living in a camp and those aren't necessarily the things that get them. It might be also in a family, let's say you've got multiple kids, they're going to each experience the impact of risk in a different way too. Yeah. Yeah. Some oh yeah. Whether it great, others are just going to crash a little bit. There's 23 years between my oldest and youngest. Oh my They've word. had different childhoods. You know, so they, true. sometimes the older boys talk about it and look at, look at the younger ones going, they're living up, they're growing up in a different world. Dad is now in his fifties. He was in his thirties back then. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, it's, it's different for all of them. And giving them the space to process it through. I mean, I think sometimes, unfortunately, missionaries are known for being like, buck up kids, let's do this. The Lord's called us to do it. Let's go. And there is some of that. I mean, let's be real. We, mm -hmm. we do have to do that a little bit, but it doesn't mean that we need to shut them up. They sometimes need to talk, whether it's to us and it is to us, but also to other people to have a space to be able to process what they're going through and make sense of it. I think we would do our kids a disservice when we expect them to just shut up like good soldiers and just march on. It's helpful if they can still, yeah, have to do it because it's our family and it's some of the stuff we're doing, but have the space to be able to talk about the impact of that. And then us as parents, if we realize that the risk we are taking is injuring our children mm -hmm. and causing a type of trauma that's not okay, because let's be real again, as missionary kids and as missionary families, there's a certain degree of trauma that we will all experience and people in general experience trauma, but there is trauma that's um, not okay. Yeah. And I think we know when that is and knowing when it's time to step in and listen to our kids and go, you know what, uh, this isn't okay. And we're making a change in our family. Mm -hmm. I have learned a lot just listening to my older ones as mm -hmm. they have processed things and they've got 
good spirits and we had great relationships, but as they've gotten older and they go, you know what, I could probably say this now. And, um, and in some ways it's, it's mostly, it's been funny. It hasn't been, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I, I walked in on a conversation where the three of them, the older boys were discussing my ability as a driving instructor. And, um, the general consensus was there's some things dad should not do. And, and that was one of them. And it, it was so funny. They said, I remember yeah. Jackson saying, I remember asking him, what does this button do? And getting a 20 minute lecture on the internal combustion engine. And I'm like, okay, so maybe I wasn't good at that. You know, maybe I'm good at other things. Maybe there are things that I could do differently. And I I do think I I parent the younger ones uh, differently, having learned maybe a little bit. Mm -hmm. And there's just not black and white in any of this. Mm -hmm. There is just a constant learning, openness to the Holy Spirit, conversations with your spouse or with close people, conversations with your kids staying in a place of sensitivity so that you can shift and change. And so that hopefully by the grace of God, we are taking the right risks, the risks that maybe are hard on us and hard on our kids, but that shape them for their future, that make them into the young people they are. If we raise our kids in these, you know, these little bubbles where they have um, no danger and everything is perfectly safe, that's, that's not really the life that we're called into either. And that's not really the people we want them to be. So that's my daily prayer. Lord, Help us make decisions where we're following you into some of this crazy, but also take care of my kids as well and show me yeah. when maybe this risk is something that's injuring my family and when it's something. I mean, I remember when we moved to Peru, Danny and I had the conversation. We both had this really interesting sense on the inside of us. We knew that we were supposed to, to move there um, to help my in-laws onto what was next for them in life as missionaries down there. But we looked at each other and we both said, there's something in this specifically for Macy, for our second daughter. And we didn't know what it was, mm-hmm. but we knew that we knew that we knew that something was going to happen in Peru that was going to set her up for whatever she was going to step in next to in life. Mm-hmm. And that burning um, feeling we took with us and it kept us focused and it kept us watching her and going, Lord, what are you doing in her in, here? In What are you doing here in her? And she went through some tough stuff, mm-hmm. but boy, has it shaped her into awesome young adult. So we don't want to protect our kids, but we do want to care for them. Man, risk is a, there's no black and white. There's no boxes on all this. That's why it's just so great to be able to hear from people's stories and people's experiences. So I just really appreciate some of those stories that you shared today, Randy. There were some quotable quotes in there too. I'm just saying. Well, I, that was not been, your intention, but that was some is, good stuff. It has been fun to be with you. We, we think the world of you guys and modern day um, has been a, just a huge blessing to us over the years. Uh, I was telling somebody who just recently is in the process of joining modern day. I'm like, every interaction I've had with that organization has been not even just okay. It's been positive. And I'm so grateful for you guys. Uh, I appreciate it. We feel the same way. We've been with modern day now for, for 10 years and it's been an unbelievable 10 years for us as well. I don't know what we did before them. So I love that. That's what brought us together and let the four of us get to meet. So thank you again so much, Randy, for joining us today. I know that what we talked about today will inspire some great conversations among the missionaries between them with, with friends and relationships and them with the Lord. So been great to be with you, Stephanie. Yes. So we will see you all on the next episode. Uh, Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. If you have not gotten the chance, continue to share this with your missionary friends and leave us a review and we will see you next week.